<laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Spotify um, recommended me. They were like, for you, John, a happy mix. And I was like, oh, let's see what's on this fucking happy mix. Half the songs are just songs from my my songs that sound like that playlist. And I was like, it's it's all on here. Look, there's Smile, and there's uh, Steal My Sunshine. There's Brimful of Asha. There's, uh, you know, there's uh, Fat Boy Slim. There's, um, you know, and then there was some other stuff thrown in there, some more dad stuff, stuff that's oh, like yeah. Turbo Dad, like Mr. Blue Sky, but also some stuff that's like like dad classics, like, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Curtis Mayfield and, and some other really good, you know, kind of older stuff. I posted about I, it on Twitter, but I was thinking... Um, that Curtis Mayfield track, what the fuck is it called? Move on up. Uh, that's a li- that's straight up a liquid drum and bass track. It's like 175 BPM with fast drums and snares on the two and four. It rocks. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, I was <laughs> listening to your new piece, and oh, there's fuck, straight up like a like a Fat Boy Slim style song on mm-hmm. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted to do something that was like Ween esque, where I was just like every single one of these songs is going to be different as hell. I'm tired of making EPs that are all supposed to be stylistically consistent. It's exhausting. One man is not meant to work on drum and bass or footwork for, you know, weeks and months straight. That's not, that's not fun for me. Yeah. I didn't listen on I was listening over my computers or my, my, uh, phone speaker so i didn't get the the full quality but there was some there's some good there's some bangers on there and thanks one of them is uh is like straight up like sonic music oh sick (laughs) (laughs) not the new sonic Sonic apparently i haven't i haven't listened i saw a meme about it and the bad sonic music but no i mean like good sonic music the good sonic i heard sonic mania is really good if we want to just do video game chat for a second All the retro Sonic fans are like, this Sonic Mania shit kind of is hitting. And I'm like, oh, really? Because the Sonic <laughs> Sonic games have been extremely spotty over the years. So when you hear there's a good one, I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I did figure that we should talk about, though, before we get into the stories is just like, because I don't have an article for this or anything, but like, obviously the big news that, I mean, yeah, it's not necessarily classed as workers news but it is workers news like Mm -hmm. the ending of roe v wade that we knew you know we knew it was coming but it was still like obviously a momentous event and i've been seeing a lot of you know good statements from unions out there being like reproductive rights are human rights they're workers rights we stand and protect them which is good like i'm glad to see that i'm not trying to be overly cynical about that but like sure i just think one of the things that we should talk about though is just like how unions can actually put this stuff into practice. Cause like making a statement is all well and good, but like the whole point of the union is for workers to be able to exercise their power to advance their station in society. And Mm -hmm. so like that includes actually fighting for this sort of stuff. And there's, I think there's a lot of things that the unions can do to actually make a material change in this. Like, cause there's been, for instance, I mean, I know Lena, you and I were talking before the show about like, all these companies that are like, we're going to make these policies that help people get access to abortions, even if they're not in another state. And it's like, and then you look at, you look into it and there's always all these fucking bullshit qualifiers. It actually only applies to like seven people. Well, it it also serves to reinforce like corporate liberalism where it's like, you're going to get your rights from your employer now, instead of like having them guaranteed to you by the country you live in, which is a huge fucking downgrade. Yeah. Right. Well, and I mean, every single one of them is fascist. like based 
It's mm-hmm. based entirely on your ability to have company health care, which exclusively or makes makes exclusive to only like full time employees. So part time employees, contractors are entirely exempt from those those benefits. And so, I mean, like that just makes me think that that that's uh, should light the fire under the union's ass to make sure that everybody's covered under all health care, no matter like any conditions. Like if they have you know, 10 minutes on the clock, they should qualify for healthcare and that healthcare should be free. I mean, that that should be one of the things that people are fighting for, especially if things like uh, abortion funds are tied to healthcare or just untie them to the healthcare and be, have them be a full, well, I mean, really not, not or, I mean, and untie them from healthcare uh, and just have them as a, as a standing right for all workers uh, in the contract. Yeah. And I mean, like, it, it's it's kind of like so many of the other things we talk about. It's like, I guess it's on the one hand somewhat laudable on the lowest basic level for a company to be like, yeah, we will help some of our employees get this. But like with any, as we talk about, you know, we talk about this all the time, like anything that's voluntarily granted to the workers from the company can be voluntarily rug pulled from the workers at any time too. And more importantly, and I really think this is why we're seeing more companies do that. It can be used as a cudgel against workers to be like, Oh wow. I heard you were talking about a union boy, boy, would it be a shame if we had to take away this benefit, which is why I think it's like so important that the unions, like when they get into their contract negotiations, be like, Hey, so now we're on the section where we talk about our healthcare (laughs) And this healthcare plan needs to include full access to reproductive healthcare. And it doesn't matter if it's illegal in whatever state the contract's being negotiated in. Like if if it's illegal in this state, then there needs to be included payment for somebody to travel, including like all of their expenses to go somewhere else. And it needs to be like a hard and fast demand, not the sort of thing that's like thrown out there as this is the ideal, nice to have. Like this is the sort of thing we need people to strike over. And it needs to be codified in something like a contract the same way that the general right to an abortion or reproductive services in general needs to be codified into fucking law and not left to dangle as a fucking Supreme Court ruling that is not like permanently binding, Mm -hmm. is is not on the books in the same way that fucking legislation is. And like it, it it's all it's all just been like this huge failure and this this cynical uh like like you said this this attitude of trying to keep it as something they can revoke so right. that it it can be used to punish workers and and punish in like a really inhumane and and, and truly horrifying way mm-hmm. yeah yeah well and like the idea like the starbucks workers getting their hours reduced i mean imagine you were someone who like needed that service and you know your manager found out and they're like oh well suddenly you're at 19 hours and no longer qualify mm-hmm. you know yeah so i i'm really hoping i mean because like i i don't i don't want to come out of like uh, this assuming bad faith with any of the unions. I am genuinely glad that there have been a lot of unions, even unions I didn't expect to see it from. Like I saw like uh, IUPAT, like a couple of the other like building trades actually have some really good statements, which considering the history of the building trades is not something that I necessarily expected. So I, I was, I was quite, quite glad to see that. But what now as a next step, I hope we, I really hope we start seeing these incorporated into actual material, like, actions not just statements like Mm -hmm. this is the sort of thing that we need like like for instance next year ups contract 
Like, obviously, that's going to be that's going to be like the big story next year, obviously, for labor, because it's the biggest single private union contract in the country. I mean, I, I really hope that the Teamsters include this sort of thing in their contract demands with UPS, because there's UPS workers everywhere, not just, you know, on the coasts and in the major cities. And those workers as should absolutely have, as part of their health care as a right, the ability to access reproductive health care, even if the state happens to have banned it. And so, right, yeah. Well, and before we move on, uh, at the risk of opening an entire other can of worms, I j- just do briefly want to address all of the various posts that I've seen people overly enthusiastically sharing on Twitter and elsewhere that all seem to say that today, Monday, was the day we were all going to just like up and magically general strike. Oh, God. Um, yeah. I've seen this from a lot of different yeah. corners, and it's really upsetting to me that people still have not figured out that a general strike is not something that you just kind of will into existence. It is not a flash mob. It is not... Yeah. It's not like a fun internet thing that you do. Like it's a serious undertaking and it requires the support of like major unions and working groups and and other activist groups and political parties and all of this other stuff. So like, you know, if you're the kind of person who's who's standing around today or later this week and you're thinking like, where's that general strike I was promised? Like if you want it to happen, you have to get in there and, and, and help make it happen or, you know, at the very least try and promote the voices of people who are serious players and who actually have the resources and have the connections and have the experience in labor to make this kind of stuff happen because a general strike isn't happening without the teamsters. A general strike is not happening. It's not happening without the ALU and they're basically a brand new union. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's a lot that goes into this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we just need more of that. Like, you know, I pulled the clip into the episode last week. You might probably didn't hear because you probably don't listen to the episodes after. (laughs) But um, about the, I pulled a clip of Sean O'Brien saying, oh, we're going to bring UPS to their knees. Uh, And I'm pretty sure that if that is uh, the sentiment, we need to get like Sean O'Brien's and, and, you know, other labor leaders to be like, we are going to bring this country to its knees. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and like before people like get think that we're like poo-pooing like too hard it's like this is exactly why we talk about stuff like the recent general strike that happened in India like that's mm-hmm. that's why we talk about these other movements not just because it's cool that they're doing the general strikes which it is for sure incredibly awesome but because there are so many lessons on how to do that right. from seeing other people do it because like when for instance, you know, like the like the major trade unions in India mobilized, you know, tens of millions, I think maybe actually hundreds of millions of people to strike like a, a, I, what was a couple of months ago at this point. Like that's organizations that it's taken decades to build. And that doesn't mean that, you know, we have to wait decades to put this together. It's that the the exactly what you were saying, John, like you actually need planning you need structure you need organization and that doesn't mean that like we can't have a general strike for 10 years because everything is so disorganized it just means that it's like you can't just go on twitter and call for one if you want there to be a general strike in response to this i think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to want to happen so that's why you should join a socialist organization if you're not already in one work on developing links between that organization and all the other progressive organizations and labor organizations in your area and start building that actual solidarity and, and plugging into whatever existing 
structures are already there and to help move them in that direction. Because that's how we're going to get to the place where we can have a general strike, which is a place we do need to get to, but we have to do that long, slow, and oftentimes boring groundwork to get there first. Well, and yeah. I think that one of the the main things to draw from this is that, like, the one of the things that I've seen from a lot of people is the self-preservationist attitude of people who are like, oh, I don't know about going in on a union. We are kind of okay here, you know, this or that. And, like, you know, you're never going to build the power that you need to actually have something like a general strike to build the solidarity if you have a self-preservationist attitude. And so we need to be, when we see these people in our in our workplaces, we need to be like, well, then how are we going to strike so that we get uh, reproductive rights? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and otherwise, you know, you're you're just going to do us the disservice of making us uh, Ron Swanson in that meme where the guy at the hardware store is like, general strike tomorrow, um, you know, Monday, we all don't go to work. And he's just like, I want a general strike more than you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because you're not serious about it. tell already and it would be shocking if you haven't this is work stoppage everybody thank you so much (laughs) for joining us on this week's episode we are an entirely listener supported show just because it would be incongruous for us to run ads we're a socialist labor show so uh any support you give us on the patreon we really appreciate because we're a socialist labor show and if you're not in the discord already please hop in there if you are a patron and you don't have your stickers yet please just message us on patreon and if you want to help the show a little bit more leave us a five-star review anywhere you think it would help uh if you just uh, uh spray paint it over some racist graffiti in your town so that it's no longer visible that's right yeah so we're going to st- do our, our first story this week is a, a quick follow up with the Indiana grad student workers who we talked about uh, probably a couple months ago now at this point where they have been on during the spring semester. They were on a, a long recognition strike to try and get their union recognized by the university. And they had paused it over the summer because one of the wins that they made during their strike during the spring semester, they weren't able to get the administration to to actually recognize their union, but they won the support of the faculty, which was a, that's a big win. And like, is the faculty or, you know, at least nominally supposed to be playing a large role in how the, the university is governed. And so because of, you know, the availability of resources, people not being on campus during the summer and also hoping to develop from that victory, they paused their strike over the summer to see how things would develop. And unfortunately, they they don't seem to be developing in the direction of the administration, realizing that they should just recognize the union because now the administration and the faculty have gotten into this like big fight uh, or at least a war of words about this concept that I had to learn about from reading this because I haven't really been involved in academia uh, called shared governance, which basically shared governance is a model for how universities are run where theoretically nominally rather than being run as a dictatorship of the administration, the 
and this is really mostly for public universities, like right. the administration is supposed to take in uh, various relevant stakeholders, to use the terminology that's usually used for this, which includes, of course, faculty, staff, students, and also members of the public in the area where the university is. And the reason we're bringing all this like sort of arcane uh, academic stuff up is that the university is claiming that the recognizing the union is, quote, incompatible with IU's approach to shared governance. Which uh, doesn't make any fucking sense at all (laughs) if shared governance is supposed to be this thing where it's like, okay, students and faculty, you get a voice. And they're like, okay, we're banding together to have a coherent voice. And (laughs) then the administration is like, "Mm, not like that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, that's more or less like a very good summary of, of how this has gone because... They, they've, it's like, they're just coming out and say, oh, well, this would be a violation of shared governance. And then basically everybody's like, but, but how, how, how would it right. be a violation of shared? And they never, no, in none of the things I was reading about this, have they provided an explanation? It's other than v- vaguely gesturing in the same exact sort of third party shit that we hear all the time. It's like, oh, well, you know, if we recognize the third party union, that would break up the direct relationship we have with our graduate workers and stupid Sometimes reading, reading the notes for this really gave me this, this, this thought that, that slowly made its way to the front of my mind, which is just like, uh, all of this, like, uh, uh, student council, academic and, and school, like democracy kind of apparatuses. I feel like those are partly there to keep the students from getting together and like demanding shit. (laughs) Oh, a hundred percent. It's, that's not something that I ever thought about when I was in college, Mm -hmm. but like looking back on it now, yeah, that's I feel it's one of those things where I, I feel like it's like almost like a counterinsurgency program, like right. in the wake <laughs> of like the student protest during Vietnam. It, sure. it's, it's like we'll we'll set up this little busy box that doesn't actually have any power, but we'll get people to argue about this and it will disrupt abilities for people to do anything because like You'll get to vote on how cold the water in the water fountain is. That's about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Because like the the during the end of the spring semester, like the Bloomington Faculty Council came together in a big meeting. They had uh, an unprecedented vote where they overwhelmingly passed a resolution in support of the striking grad workers and called on the administration to recognize the union. And instead of being like. Oh well, our seventeen hundred faculty members, as well as all the grad students, think we should do this. Mm-hmm. Perhaps in the interest of shared governance, we should listen to some of the most important stakeholders. They instead responded by telling the faculty that it's their responsibility to discipline and potentially fire grad student workers for being on strike. Like <laughs> wow. they, they 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 put out a letter to the faculty saying. Existing long-standing university policies that were developed through shared governance recognize this and any member of the community, whether staff or tenured faculty or associate instructor, who fails to uphold their responsibilities in this regard will be subject to the consequences stated in these policies. This faculty reminds me members. so much of, uh, of Howard Schultz's, I'm having problems with my managers not being anti-union enough. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, you know, the only thing I really have to say to these faculty members who have received this uh, this this letter is like, if this is a responsibility, a a work duty that they expect you to do, 
you should just, you know, follow the lead of these grad students and all not do it together collectively. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the and move. Hopefully that plan in the fall comes to pass. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't see them reducing their strength. I don't there's not like a any indication that the faculty is like, oh, well, the administration said so. You know, it's that's not what we're seeing as far as I can tell. Yeah. And and like to your your point about the like whole like student government thing like that's basically what the university has responded with they're like we have existing channels for handling you know relations with our grad student workers and and we we look forward to having a dialogue to improve the graduate student experience with our already existing structures for doing that pointing basically to the that like student council type group that they have on campus which of course has no real power and is like if that was an effective means of exercising collective power, the workers would have already done that instead of forming a union. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like that little plastic uh, steering wheel thing you give a kid when they sit in the front seat, and it's like you're driving <laughs> <Yeah>. too. <laughs> An unplugged controller. They're yeah. they're they're the uh, fifth player in Smash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, to your point, Lena, like there there was a quote in the article uh, from this uh, guy who's a he's a librarian at the university, Scott Libson who basically said that he doesn't see really any simple resolution to this during the summer uh, saying, I mean, given the political climate in Indiana, I just see it as unlikely that the board of trustees will recognize the union. So looking ahead, I see no resolution to this problem. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I mean, I I mean, that is where Mike Pence is from. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, but I, I do think, though, that, like, what you were saying, John, it kind of points to the actual resolution to the problem, which is that, mm-hmm. like, obviously, from everything that we've seen about this, the workers, the grad workers are going to have to go right back on strike when they come back in the fall. And I think if the faculty were really honest when they came together and, and overwhelmingly voted on a resolution to support the union, we're going to need to see some actual material solidarity because it doesn't seem like that the grad student workers alone are necessarily going to be able to force the administration to caving. But if the faculty refuse to carry out the demands to punish the workers and potentially join them on the picket line, well, that could change things real fast. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we, we love to see it and we hope to see it. Yeah. Um, so, but I guess the next thing we have in here has no information. Apparently Dan's <laughs> doing this next one from the dome. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I added this in. So people who are in the Discord will have seen me posting about this a little bit. So this is a... I don't have notes on this because uh, this is direct labor reporting from me. Um, Hell yeah. Because there's a local... Teamsters Local 251 here in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, have been on strike since last week. And so along with some uh, party comrades, I went out to the picket line in Pawtucket, which is... a like the next city over from it's like basically like North North Providence to like see how the strike was going to talk to the workers, show solidarity, walk the picket line with them. Uh, And it it was a very enlightening experience. I mean, it's the sort of thing that like, if you haven't had the opportunity to go out and show solidarity to workers that are striking new year, I definitely recommend it. But basically the, the background to all this is, is, is that, these folks are, they work for a independent contractor for DHL. So they like, they drive DHL vans, they wear DHL uniforms, but they aren't technically DHL employees. Mm. They're, they're employees of this contractor, Northeast Transportation Services. And 
they've been negotiating with these, like, I think both the contractor and DHL since March because their contract's up and they, they were negotiating around a new one. And one of the, like, really the big thing, because they're, you know, they're fighting for a living wage because we're dealing with huge inflation. Gas is really fucking expensive. Everything's expensive. So, of course, you know, wages are obviously one of the key things. But one of the big things that, that really led to the strike and was one of the, the the sticking points for the workers in Teamsters Local 251 is that the contractor refuses to offer any health care plan. Their, their justification being, well, you can go get health care on the exchange, meaning Ooh. the Affordable Care Act marketplaces that were set up, you know, from the, the great expansion of national health care that the ACA supposedly was. <laughs> that's a lie. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing. If any anybody who's ever actually looked at those exchanges or tried to purchase a plan from them knows that, A, the plans available on the ACA exchanges are garbage. They cover very little as far as actual health care. They usually have enormous deductibles, so you're paying a ton of money out of pocket before you ever even really see any sort of insurance. And like they're even with that, those restrictions, they're still expensive as shit. So like it, the, the idea that the exchange is actually a viable option for people to get healthcare is really fake, but it's so frustrating because the company is just using it as like a way to try and badger the workers be like, look, you can go get healthcare. What do I, why do I need to give you healthcare? And so because of that, like the workers just like, look, Nobody can afford these trash plans that are on the exchange that are garbage and don't apply for anything anyway. So, like, you, no, we need health care. Like, our, our workers deserve health care just like any other worker does. So if you're not going to give it to us, we're not going to work anymore. So uh, there's, there's 60 workers who have been on strike since last Wednesday. So that would be the 22nd. Um, is mm -hmm. the first day that they were on strike. I went and visited them on Friday. Uh, we brought them some like snacks from a local, actually from the local bakery that itself just unionized, uh, nice. which was really cool. Uh, so we got some UFCW Teamster solidarity there, which was cool. Um, and they had one thing that was really cool. They have um, they have one of those big inflatable uh, like capitalist pig balloons <laughs> that it's, it's like the same size as the scabby the rats and that was really dope uh they had that set up right in front of it uh and so of course unsurprisingly the company is trying to break the strike by bringing in scabs from out of state as well as hiring like outside couriers and so you know as is a, the purpose of a strike and a picket line the workers had been out there like walking the line in front of both the entrance and the exit from the facility to block it. But of course, this being America, <laughs> the town dispatched of several police officers to the strike to make sure that the picket line couldn't be too effective. And so when I was there on Friday, basically the, what it rattled out was that it's like, okay, you can block the, the scabs for like two minutes and then you got to let them through. Uh, is just sort of this equilibrium that sort of settled out there with the, the cops there. And I went back, I was, I was there again on Saturday and then I went there today and today, Monday, the 27th, the cops have completely changed the rules. Now they're just like, mm, nope. Now you're not allowed to really have an effective picket of any kind. And you said uh, that and they brought out a bunch more cops too, right? 
Well, so that's the thing. They had like they had two cops there, but there was like dozens of people on the picket line. So when the cops came up to be like, you have to let the cars through, we just like walked around them because there was only two of them. <laughs> and so they couldn't deal with that. And so they called for backup and they brought in a third guy. And then we're just like, well, there's still only three of you. You would still very easy to walk around you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so just kept doing that. And so then they brought in literally like 20 fucking cops to wow. basically forcibly keep everybody from, again, nobody was permanently blocking the road. Nobody was permanently blocking the entrances or exits. Nobody was doing anything illegal. Nobody was like threatening the scabs. Nobody was physically, like nobody was assaulting their cars or anything. They were literally just like, we're going to walk in front of you for two minutes and we're going to let you go and we'll yell at you when you drive by <laughs> for being a piece of shit scab. Which it's like, that seems like a pretty minor penalty, frankly, for the people that are crossing the picket line. Yeah. But that was just too much, apparently, for, for the city of Pawtucket. So they brought out 20 cops who apparently didn't have anything better to do and everybody else to harass. And they basically set up essentially a, a militarized checkpoint at, at each side of the, the uh, facility to make sure that the scabs could get in and out completely unimpeded. Wow. That's fucking so, insane. Strike-breaking cops at it again. Yeah. Thank you, and, AFL. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is in addition to now, so I wasn't there for this story, but I did hear about it, and I believe it, because um, I was like on Friday, I was there during the morning, but apparently at the end of the shift, when the scabs were trying to leave, workers were, you know, doing their picket line, they're doing their thing, delaying people for a little bit and then letting them go. And one of the scabs refused to slow down for the picket line and clipped one of the workers with his car. And it like, the guy was okay, but his arm did get cut open in the process. And the guy just, the scab just fucking drove off, which I'm like, okay, well, that's a, that's a hit and run. I'm pretty sure that's like a felony, but... But the response from the cops was to threaten to arrest the guy who got hit by the cab. They basically said, oh, he jumped in front of the car. Like, Yeah, fucking. Oh, that's, what the fuck? It, oh, my God. Which is an insane, like, nobody is going to, why would you jump in front of a speeding car? It doesn't make any fucking sense. Whereas the idea that the scab might be mad at the picket line and gun it through the line and hit the guy that's a lot less of an absurd idea, but, and so he's like threatening to arrest the guy who got hit by the car. But of course there was, it's a picket line. So there's plenty of people there. Who were like, we were standing right here when it happened, the car refused to slow down to let him get out of the way. And, but it doesn't matter. Cause again, the cops are the ones who file the reports. The cops are the ones who are believed, you know, by, uh, by the, judges, the court system, the court so, system. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The court. So I mean, <laughs> It that shit's very frustrating, but I it, it, this isn't like a huge strike. It's only about sixty workers, and it's a small, relatively small DHL facility. But one thing that I just wanted to you know like talk to folks about generally from talking with the people on the picket line because you know w- w- we're communists. We think there's a pretty specific general like um, like liberatory program of politics to, for the working class as a whole. But like, you know, we know that like regular people tend to have pretty, 
mm, esoteric levels of consciousness about stuff. People mm-hmm. will usually have a mix of progressive and some reactionary ideas, just stuff that you pick up living in the hellscape that is America with our gigantic ideological state apparatus bombarding you with like horrific propaganda all day. Right. Yeah. In a society where what kind of liberal you are is determined by whether you listen to right wing talk radio or if your dad does. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so like there were plenty of guys I was talking to who like, I'm sure plenty of other people who we know who are ardent, communists who have good politics but might hear some of their opinions and be like oh these people are where mm, those people are very reactionary i don't know that we should be to go we should be organizing with them and i'm like okay i get that but like the reason i bring all that up is that talking to those folks about the strike and talking because i brought up when i was talking to them i was like i brought up the case new holland strike the workers you know striking in iowa and and wisconsin we talked about the Starbucks strike and all the retaliation that's going on there. Yep. And let me tell you plenty of these guys who some of them probably voted for Trump. I don't know, maybe not, but like I would wager that at least a couple of them did, but pretty much everybody I talked to was right on board with the idea that like, look, whatever our many, many differences on different policies, the fact that folks like them go into work every day and work, bust their ass for eight, 10, 12 hours at a time, do Mm -hmm. a shitload of work, get paid jack shit while whoever the hell it is that owns DHL or Jeff Bezos or Howard Schultz then gets to be a fucking millionaire is bullshit and then it would make far more sense for more power to be in the hands of the workers. And like, in addition to that, talking to the folks after seeing, you know, the constant level of repression from the cops, like, even before, like, I would say anything, because, again, like, you can just see, you can see in real time people's consciousness changing mm-hmm. from these events because you got guys out there basically yelling at the cops, like, hey, how much is DHL paying you, motherfucker? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. the right move. Like, yeah. Well, you know, that, that kind of consciousness is really uneven. Like a great example of that is there's this guy I work with. He's still basically a kid, really. I think he's 19. And uh, he works at the company I work for, but he's studying agricultural technology. And he and his whole family, a couple of the other family members also work there. They all love Trump. So when I was talking to him, I was kind of surprised, but I guess I shouldn't be too surprised when he said, uh, yeah, when I get my degree, I'm definitely not going to work for John Deere. I saw what happened with the labor dispute that they had and uh, they fucked up and they treated their workers bad. And even though there's immense industry pressure to work for them, I don't want to. And I'm like, cool. You know, <laughs> what are you going to say? Like, oh, I, fuck you. You're not consistent. You like Trump. Like, no, you should congratulate them for their burgeoning class yeah. consciousness and try to help them develop it. Yeah. I mean, I was at a at an action and there were a bunch of young people who was their first time at an action. And when they saw the police repression, they're like, this became very real for us. Like they, mm-hmm. it, it, it happens really quick when when reality slaps them in the face. Yeah, and and to like to be clear, I'm not being like, and that's why we need to put aside like our our caring about reactionary politics. No, but it's <laughs> what I mean by a lot of this is that like the direct struggle and showing solidarity on like an economic class aligned basis like this is the best opening you can possibly have 
with people because this level of because your consciousness cannot help but be changed by seeing this happen in real time and that right. creates an opening to new ways of thinking and so that's not to say that it's like if you have somebody who is a transphobe that you should be accepting of their transphobia absolutely not but if you happen to know a coworker who does have shitty takes like that and you do have a workplace struggle that's an opportunity to be like hey you know how the bosses are trying to, you know, constantly pit us against each other and trying to break the strike yeah, by bringing in scabs? Yeah, well, one of the other ways they do that is by p- pitting us against trans folk. Because people see this stuff and it can change their mind. And I, I think it's really important that we, you know, you know, as people who are socialist communists who really want to change the world and really want to rally around these unifying principles, that we understand that, like... I love doing this show and I hope as many people listen to it as possible. And I hope we're able to help people with it, but that like that direct struggle along standing alongside people is the single best way you, that any of us are ever going to have to bring people to our side. Again, and so like, it goes back to the, the, the basically the second tagline of the show, which is just a Lenin quote, which is unions are the school of communism. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so like, but really, I'm I'm bringing all this up just to be like, when there's strikes in your area, and there will be no matter where you live, <laughs> these are the consequences of capitalism, even with as weak as the labor movement has been. But like, that is your opportunity as an organizer, as a socialist, as a communist, as somebody who just wants to make the world better, to not just go and show solidarity with the workers, which you should do, but like have conversations like hear about the struggles that those workers are having because that period of struggle is going to be the single best time you will ever have to bring people onto our brand of liberationary politics because it's when you're actually out there seeing those contradictions between workers bosses and the repressive arm of the state that it becomes so much clearer it's so much easier for people to see through the propaganda when you're actually out there on the picket line and so yeah. that was a really educational moment for me and i just wanted to share that with you know folks right well and to continue our labor education we're going to be moving to uh, kind of almost a follow up but not quite the a follow up we're going to yeah. be moving to south africa where the platinum miners at the uh, numsa or well numsa union uh, uh, platinum miners have gone on strike. We had talked originally about gold miners on strike. They were fighting for, you know, what was it, like 100 uh, of that currency so that they could, you know, qualify oh, yeah. for loans and stuff like that. Well, these are, you know, and we even compared those workers to the platinum workers. Well, those platinum workers have gone on strike. There are 4,000 workers at the Impala Platinum Mines in uh, Rutensburg, South Africa, that were on that have gone onto the picket lines to end abuse of contract workers. Uh, the owners of the mine have been super exploiting, have been super exploiting their workers by contracting out as much labor to the mines as they possibly can, basically getting rid of the regular workers and, you know, just uh, saying, Oh, you know what? If we bring in some contract workers, we'll have less union workers. Yeah. And this is, I mean, we see this everywhere now, but like the numbers I was reading about this, cause this is from an article in people's dispatch where that like doing the same exact job in the mines, one of the workers for these contract workers makes less than one third the wage of a worker who's directly employed by the mine. It's wild. Like the, the, they're, 
the idea that you could justify that to somebody to their face, like with anything other than, well, we could get away with it and we wanted to make more money. Like there's, there's no reasonable justification for that besides naked greed. And so, yeah, like, so NUMSA, which is, we've talked about them several times. They're like the metal workers union, but they're the largest, uh, union in South Africa. And so they're fight. They've, they've, they've gone out on strike to protest this. And they're now calling for a total ban on the practice of using labor brokers to contract workers at these sub poverty rates. And like, this is with, cause there's multiple companies at this, uh, Impala platinum mine specifically, uh, two, two that are, have been specifically like very exploitative are the Regetsway mining group and triple M mining who have refused to bargain with NUMSA, despite the fact that there is a standing court order telling them to. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And the union released a statement where they said management must stop interfering in the constitutional right of workers to choose which union will represent them. Once we have secured organizational rights, our members want to conclude a collective agreement based on other additional demands, including wage increases, benefits and other demands. And uh, one of the two mining companies, Ray Getsway, is trying to use uh, legal maneuvers to get out of the requirement to bargain entirely. So they seem to just think this standing order is more of a guideline than than a rule uh, and by claiming that a closed shop agreement it signed with another union at other mines meant it didn't have to negotiate with numsa members which is like this is always the shit that they try and pull where it's like we have another agreement that sets some other kind of precedent and the union has to jump in where the state would normally in any functioning world be like, that's not how this works. But instead that responsibility ends up falling to the actual workers themselves to be like, Hey, this is not how the law works in our country. Yeah. Well, yeah, this it's, is the well, second largest producer of platinum in the world. I mean, yeah. like, like we should not like understate how important this this is for the you know I guess platinum industry, but also these companies are huge. They're super exploiting these workers and selling this platinum to uh, com- countries all over the world to to basically you know continue the imperialism. Well, yeah, I mean, your car's catalytic converter probably has platinum in it from one of these mines. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and like NUMSA, that's the other thing that's so wild about this claim from Brigettesway where they're like, well, we have a closed shop agreement with another union, so we don't have to recognize your union. A, NUMSA represents 1,200 of their 1,400 workers. So like, what? (laughs) Like that does the idea that, oh, well, we signed another agreement with 200 workers at a different mine and so we're just going to ignore the other 1,200. Right. Well, and, and also, I want to hear what those other workers have to say about that. Because yeah. I bet their opinion is very different than the company's. Yeah, almost certainly. That was one thing where I was like, there wasn't a lot about the other union in the article. And sure. that was something I was really like trying to find information on, but I couldn't. But like NUMSA has been like aggressively trying to organize the workers at Impala Platinum, including like they, they organized over 7,000 workers across five different contractors last summer which got really heated uh, very fast because in response, the company, and I guess to evade, to uh, get out of worries about potential libel or slander laws, I will say the company allegedly uh, hired killers to assassinate NUMSA's lead organizer, Malabongwe Madazo, on August 19th of last year. Okay, okay but like, allegedly, sure. 
and I know that we probably do have to say that, but this is South Africa. This is a country yeah. that was an apartheid state until like 30 years ago. This is a country where like they've been routinely killing leaders of the shack dwellers movement. This is a this is a country where union organizers at Clover Dairy Plants have been assaulted by people who are obviously paid by the company in full view of everyone in broad daylight. This is a this is a country where like where like mining is the main industry and it's so heavily racialized and and is like one of the most obvious examples of direct extraction and exploitation by firms that are often based in places like Israel and Canada like mm-hmm. <laughs> there's just so much to fucking say about this and then to 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 believe even for a second that the company wouldn't resort to hiring people to kill union organizers it's just ludicrous it's just fucking ludicrous on its face yeah i mean I think we all can guess pretty much exactly like, you know, how that went down. But like I so the you know, these workers have been on strike now since the 20th and, you know, NUMSA plans to continue this fight until these con- until a short term goal. The contractors recognize their union mm-hmm. and bargain with them as they have been required to by law. And two, more importantly, until they can force the state to end the super exploitative practice of using contract workers to as like a way to evade labor law and, and drive down wages into this insane, like sub poverty level, because like what these workers are getting paid is an absolute joke. It's, it's horrific. Cause that was one of the things we talked about with the gold mining thing is like they had previously negotiated much better wages for the platinum workers, but that was for the direct employees of the mine. Right. And so now they're using this contract scheme to just try and evade that. And so like, it's, it's very encouraging to see Numsha just like they're not like skirting the issue. They're like, no, this is bullshit. They're evading the law. They need to change this so that it's illegal and we're going to be on strike until that happens. And that's in the face of like uh, you know all this incredible level of repression. So, I, I I mean, there's not a lot to say I guess other than like solidarity with these workers and and I hope that they're able to, you know, keep them supported and stay out there long enough that they're actually able to force the mind to change this bullshit policy. Yeah. Well, and we talk a lot about on this show, like how, uh, logistics workers and transportation workers have a lot of power, but there's also like, especially outside of like the United States, there's a whole world of like direct resource extraction workers who have just as much fucking power because that stuff, those catalytic converters are the things that get shipped across the country in trucks. So it's like, you know, yeah, it's nothing but solidarity with these workers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to return to the United States, we're actually going to be celebrating the vic. Well, I mean, a, a future victory of what's going to happen. I That's almost right. got. I almost got a little too excited. Uh, <laughs> there, <laughs> there were uh, some workers in Maine at a Chipotle who have filed yes. for their first union. They are an independent union. Uh, there has been other attempts to organize Chipotle workers, but these uh, workers have, you know, and gone independent initially. And uh, we'd just fucking love to see it in these industries that are considered, like, impossible to organize, whatever the fuck that means. I mean, that just just means that, you know, sure, you might have to try slightly different tactics or, or work in a, in a slightly different way. But, but, I mean, you just absolutely love to see uh, the first of hopefully many Chipotle's uh, unionizing, and this one is under the banner Chipotle United. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, this rocks. I mean, very excited that these workers in Augusta are unionizing. And some of the stuff that they talked about, I'm like, well, damn, yeah, it sure does sound like you need a union. Where the thing that they were really focused on, and we, boy, how many times have we talked about this, is the insane understaffing that they have to deal with. Of course. Like where they are routinely have so few people available to work because the company just doesn't want to fucking pay the amount of wages and benefits, or I don't even know if Chipotle offers really much in the way of benefits, probably not. Um, but like that would be required to properly staff the facility. And so workers at the store are constantly being run so ragged that they are not able to provide like the sanitary and safe work environment that both they and the customers really theoretically should have because just to be able to try and meet the demands of the, the normal business day, they don't have time to do stuff like wipe down tables, take out trash, any of the basic stuff that you would want to do to keep the place clean, but that you can't do if you're on say the lunch rush and there's only three people in the goddamn store. Right. So like, we have a quote here from one of the workers, Laramie Rohr, who told the Kennebec Journal, I care about these people more than anyone else. I hope to improve working conditions, not to have five people working 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, to have the ability to close when you need to for safety reasons. Because we don't want to serve bad food. We're proud of our food. We're proud of our workplace. We're proud of our coworkers. Hell yeah. yeah I mean... This is exactly why we've seen Starbucks uh, locations shut down because of these horrible conditions. Uh, workers have gone on strike for, you know, the, the grease trap thing or the, the leaking ceiling. And this mm-hmm. is like actually additional situations where it's not just these buildings or, or it's just some consequence of, you know, having run a business. No, this is literally a consequence of overworking people and understaffing mm-hmm. locations literally causing like when you can't clean something and you just like oh i'm just gonna wipe it down real quick well that becomes a common practice to the point where they have like continue they have lots of outbreaks of different sorts of illness like foodborne illnesses that come up at these chipotle locations and i'm sure that uh people will remember that you know there have been like e coli issues at at chipotle's uh there is, I mean, <laughs> hepatitis, norovirus, uh, like outbreaks. Like th- these are the kind of things that happen when food locations are being hyper exploited by these companies that really don't give a damn about anything except for how much money they can get out of a building. Yeah. So all while they're routinely violating labor law just to make their exploitative business model happen at all, they're also trying to kind of paper over this whole issue by saying. They've already responded to workers' needs with a new hiring initiative. And if I know anything about hiring initiatives, just from driving (laughs) around, it's usually a sign out front that says, open interviews Wednesday 9 to 5 or some shit like that. (laughs) It's fucking nothing. It's not a raised wage. Because if you raise the starting wage, you have to raise wages for everybody. Or then they're really going to unionize, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, like, to your point, Lena, like, with the problem, like, because this is... This is not like a one-off 
for Chipotle. This is not a situation that only exists at this store in Augusta. Like, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I recalled and I went back and looked at it because it was so relevant to the story. Like, Alex Press did a story last year in Jacobin about the way that Chipotle mistreats its workers. And in that article, she talked about how they've been fined millions of dollars for violating Massachusetts child labor laws, <laughs> uh, New York City's Fair Work Week law, and throughout the pandemic, they've been fined repeatedly for refusing to close stores for cleaning or due to outbreaks among the workers. And that's all resulted in those sorts of, you know, foodborne illness problems that we've had at at all these various Chipotles. And like, for instance, one of the other things that was interesting that was in that article from last year is that SEIU 32BJ in New York, which is, you know, one of the biggest and like, I think most powerful locals in SEIU, they've been trying to organize Chipotle workers for a little while. They just haven't filed for an election yet. And during their organizing campaign, they found that the company has a program to incentivize their managers to reduce labor costs by offering them a potential 25% bonus over their base salary if they can run the store with lower labor costs. And so like, I don't care what hiring initiative you have. If you are incentivizing your management to have lower labor costs, which to save the company money, then that does their hiring initiative doesn't mean anything. It's bullshit. Right. So, right. Well, and I mean, it's so encouraging to see this kind of energy at Chipotle because like we've said it three times in this episode already, but this, these are industries that people have long said, like you can't really unionize Mm -hmm. and don't be surprised when you see union drives happening at Panera bread or the cheesecake factory or red lobster or raising canes, or I can't think of any other mid tier brands, but there's about a billion of them. (laughs) Olive garden. (laughs) Exactly. Wing stop. You're just going to be like, Organize every Darden restaurant. <laughs> yeah. If you want me to eat at a Buffalo Wild Wings, you're going to have to unionize it first. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's what we then need. fucking retail locations. I want to see an Old Navy fucking union. Yeah, I want to go to a unionized... Sucks. I want to go to a unionized Damn. five below. That's where I want to go. <laughs> There you go. But yeah, like, like you were saying at the top, Lena, like they've decided they, they sought support from workers United. Uh, they've, they've, they've been, they've talked with the main AFL CIO, but they've chosen to, you know, remain independent as their own thing with Chipotle United. And, you know, the, one of the things that they repeatedly emphasized in like the interviews that I read with these workers, and this is, I've seen this at so many of the places is that like, it's not, Cause this is the thing you'll see, you'll see right-wingers characterize union drives. It's like, Oh, there's some communist rabble rouser outside agitator came in there and stirred up the workers. And that's why this happened. And so many of these interviews that I've read from people, and, and this is every, this is like REI, like the Apple store, the, the bakery here in Providence that recently like unionized and, and this Chipotle over and over and over again, this, the workers are saying basically the same thing, which is that like, they like their jobs. They just think that the conditions are terrible and they care about their coworkers and they want all of their lives to be better while still being able to work at the same place. Shockingly <laughs> normal. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly normal <laughs> feelings and behavior. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. Cause it's, they're just like, Oh, this is a big conspiracy. It's like a conspiracy of what, where you're like, Boy, it sucks that my coworker like Daryl keeps getting treated like shit by the manager. Like that's not like you don't have to be a communist to be like I don't think we should be treated like dirt at work. Right. <laughs> it's 
Yeah, you know, like that's really what it comes down to for so many of these folks. I mean, the conspiracy is really just the state's uh, complicity in all of these crimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and helping Chipotle continue as a criminal enterprise. But like, yeah, and so like as an example of that, like we had a, a last quote from from the workers in their statement saying, "We are here to make things better by ensuring we have the tools and the support to meet Chipotle's high standards while caring for ourselves, the crew that will come after us, and other food service workers who may see our efforts and feel empowered to stand up against the industry's toxic culture." Hell yeah. Well, and in the thought of standing up against a toxic culture, we have talked many times about American railways and how almost impossible it is for them to actually strike. Well, in New Jersey, rail workers have gotten around that, at least in some way, by doing a sick-out. On the evening of Friday, June 17th, commuter trains in New Jersey ground to a halt with not one (laughs) one driver... uh, uh, or with or with no one to drive them, uh, when over 200 members of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, or uh, BLET, <laughs> I want to say belts, but it's no, it's BLET. Well, to me, that's always meant bacon, lettuce, egg, and tomato, but <laughs> I like this acronym too. <laughs> yeah, they uh, called in sick. They all fucking called in sick, and uh, basically the trains just didn't run. Uh, the Damn, last nothing train, but respect. <laughs> yeah, the, this was uh, partial. This was on like the the weekend of Juneteenth, and uh, I mean, it was technically, if it were uh, a official strike, I mean, not not technically legal, but I mean, it was. They were just sick. Everybody was sick <laughs> and fucking tired of their bullshit. <laughs> Hey, there's a lot of diseases in New Jersey right now. We all got sick same day. (laughs) Nothing you can do about it. That's just fate. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this shit rocks. And so, because this is, I think, such a perfect example of A, recognizing when your leverage is at its absolute maximum Mm -hmm. and striking at that point and tying your strike timing to your demands because the, the workers didn't just do this strike randomly on that Friday before Juneteenth weekend. It was because their union has open contract disputes with the state. And so the state refused to pay the workers holiday pay for working over the Juneteenth weekend. And so they're like, all right, well, you're not going to pay us. It doesn't make a lot of sense to work. (laughs) So, I mean, that's the thing. It's because the reason I want to put this in here is like, a, it's a dope, it's a dope sick out. Like, the Friday evening before a long weekend, oof, buddy, what better time to strike mm-hmm. in a transit industry? But like, that's like postal workers striking before Christmas. Yeah, and because the 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 response from the media was just ridiculous. I mean, not as quite as craven as the next story we're going to cover, which is probably the big one that everybody's been hearing about over the past week. But like. Everybody was just because I was reading a couple articles of like local media and they're like going up trying to interview people and be like, oh, isn't this terrible that they're disrupting it? And the people are like, wait, why is this happening? And then they're like, well, they're striking because and they're like, oh, well, you should just give the workers what they want. (laughs) (laughs) So like, yeah, because it caused dozens of trains to get canceled. And it's, you know, New Jersey, like the New York area is one of the most heavily like it's one of the few regions in the country where you actually can use the train to get places. Mm -hmm. And so it does have some of the highest levels of transit via train. And so like there was a a spokesperson from, from New Jersey transit 
came, put out a statement saying, with today's engineer callouts at nearly triple the rate of an average workday, it is clear that this is the result of an illegal job action. <laughs> New Jersey Transit is disappointed that the union would perpetrate such an act on more than 100,000 commuters who depend on New Jersey Transit rail service every day. Oh we intend God. to explore all legal remedies in response to this illegal and irresponsible action. <laughs> the, think harder. of the consumers. <laughs> think of the consumers. I fucking hate that. And we've been seeing, I can't wait for the next story because I'm just going to be mad about that too. <laughs> but, but like so often it is like the, oh, but think about the poor people who uh, can no longer travel because we need to exploit you more. Like, I, I'm sorry, but I don't give a fuck, and I'm glad these workers don't give a fuck, and I bet a lot of these commuters also don't give a fuck. Like, I mean, sure, they, it'd be nice if they got where they were going, but for the most part, they're like, wait, what's the problem? Oh, fucking just give the workers what they deserve. Yeah, yeah. just pay the fucking uh, conductors more, or engineers, whatever the hell they're called. Uh, so, the, like, the, the state didn't uh, waste any time. They immediately attacked the union and the courts and forced them to sign, this is so weird, a temporary <laughs> agreement not to take any more direct actions, which is like, okay, but we still could. You know that, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then the funniest part of the whole thing is the fucking governor of New Jersey. He was so mad. <laughs> this statement is so ridiculous. It's the funniest thing I've ever read. Uh, <laughs> got really, really mad and said, this is completely and utterly unacceptable. It wasn't a cold, snowy Tuesday in January. These guys did this knowing it was a Friday in the summer on a holiday weekend, trashing people's either work commutes or holiday plans completely despicable man shove it so far shove it all the way like think about the vacationers what about the vacationers <laughs> it's yeah the the response to this where was this rhetoric about literally any of the horrifying things that happens every day in america that is actually deserving of this kind of rhetoric like mm -hmm. It's just the idea that this is the sort of thing that you're going to get that mad about and start bringing in all these legal attacks. Like, come the fuck on. Just pay the people for working on the holiday weekend. <laughs> like, it's not hard. Yeah. You have the money. Like, and I mean, to, to the point we've been saying, like, they, in, in, there was an interview with, um, from ABC seven, New York, like a local TV station who was going around, you know, trying to get people to complain about it. And they talked to this, this guy, Amar Ahmad, who is a train writer who was, uh, whose train was canceled because of this. And he said, I'm not happy they're striking, but just give them what they want. For God's sake, <laughs> if it's for the benefit of the employees then I'm good with canceled. Yeah. Well, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. I mean, shit, you would hope that if, you know, you had to strike illegally or sick out illegally for, for yourself and your your coworkers that people would give you this kind of support and it's like by and large they do only the most yeah. like demented uh you know neoliberal brain conservative brain psychos actually walk around and are just like you should have to work for 9 cents an hour <laughs> you know like that's it yeah yeah so i mean i know there's this like oh, the, the the state's gone after them with the courts but like they they did their action they made their point like mm -hmm. oh you made us sign an agreement that says we won't do it again well, if you're worried about us doing it again, why don't you just fucking come back to the bargaining table, man? <laughs> it's very yeah. easy. We could get this all solved real quick. Yeah. But I just wanted to highlight this one because I think this is 
a perfect example of how to time an action for the exact right moment for its maximum effect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and in the same kind of light, we covered the potential strike of UK rail workers about three weeks ago, I think. Uh, I think so, so. On Tuesday, June 20, 20th, over 40,000 railway workers in England went on strike uh, over the government's plan to slash thousands of jobs. Uh, workers struck on Thursday and Saturday. The strike led to uh, National uh, Rail, uh, National Union of Rail, Maritime and Transport Workers, or RMT for short, to do the largest rail strike in England in 30 years. And we fucking loved it. And there's so many good clips. I, I've, I've got one or two that I'm going to include in here. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, one of the things just about this, just to get out of the way, like with this strike, is that one of the great things, I mean, at least as an, you know, as Americans watching this, is we got to be introduced to the head of the RMT, their <laughs> president, Mick Lynch, who has immediately become an internet legend for absolutely destroying the craven, ghoulish British press during this. He's incredible. His attitude is, is like really, really incredible. The, the, the one interview where they keep asking him leading questions about the picket and he's like, it's a picket. They're Look holding the it. signs. It's right there. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. what are you not seeing? <laughs> The government is saying that they are going to bring in agency workers. My question to you is, I'm guessing that your, some of your members will still stay on the picket lines. What will they do if agency workers try to cross those picket lines? Well, we will picket them. What do you think we'll do? We run a picket line and we'll ask them not to go to work. Do you not know how a picket what line works? What they do anyway? I very much know how a picket line works. I'm much older than I look, uh, Mr Lynch. Uh, what, will we, <laughs> what will picketing involve? Well, you can see what picketing involves. I can't believe this line of questioning. Picketing is standing outside the workplace to try and encourage people who want to go to work not to go to work. What else do you think it involves? And what if they want... Well, I just wondered what else it might involve, because I very well remember uh, the picket well, lines where, of the 1980s, where are you going with your... Mr Lynch. I'm asking you which what your members you would about? do, Mr which, Lynch. Which picket lines are you talking uh, the about? Minor the minor strikes. Minor strikes. Yeah. Well, does it look like the minor strike? <laughs> what no, are you talking about? No, it doesn't, Mr Lynch, and I'm just asking, I'm just to clarify. She's gone off into I'm the world of the surreal. Uh, no, Mr what Lynch, and I'm about? sorry if you feel the need to ridicule me, but I'm just asking you what you expect your members no, to your do if agency workers... but your questions are, are, are workers... merging into the nonsense. I'm we asking pick you... pick it as effectively no, as we can. And what does that involve? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing is is he they just keep asking him the most ridiculous questions and he's like, we're we're striking. It's a strike. Look at the strike. See, <laughs> see, it's a strike. And it's just like, oh well. Do you think this is appropriate? He's like, well, do you think it's appropriate to slash thousands of jobs? No. Yeah. Or <laughs> so like, like, and I think the, a lot of the leading questions. Is, well, what are they gonna do? And implying that like they're gonna get. Vi I think they were really trying to get out yeah. like they were gonna get violent or something like that. And never, never breaking care like like breaking the the actual thing that he was saying. He's like, yo, seriously, you're showing it behind me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, as the negotiations failed the day before the strike, they, the union put out a statement saying it is clear that the Tory government, after slashing 4 billion pounds of funding from the national rail and transit port for London has now actively prevented a settlement to this dispute. And like they, they've been, they've done an excellent job, the union of redirecting all the insane, because this is the thing I know, like I'm using a lot of superlatives here, but if you haven't seen the clips, the press in Britain is ridiculous. Like Absolute our press 
is openly biased against workers and and like openly contemptuous of them. But the way that the British press does it is like it's cartoonish. Did you see the one where the where the pundit was saying that they need to bring in the National Guard to strike break? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like literally there. They were like, "Well, we could bring in the army and the the are the, like the the deputy like I think he was like a deputy at the RMT was like, "So you want to declare war on the workers?" Yeah. <laughs> Um, the fact is, uh, my colleague, the MP for Richmond Park, Sarah Olney, uncovered uh, through parliamentary questions that the Transport Secretary hadn't uh, met uh, with the unions or, or got involved in the discussions for over a month. This is a dereliction of duty by government, uh, and it absolutely has a role to play and should be at the table and should be working um, you know, with, uh, with the army and others to put contingency plans in place if these strikes are going to continue. But as Daniel says, no government minister has got involved in a rail dispute directly since the 70s. Well, we are, in, as I say, we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Uh, we've heard about the impact on the economy as we're tr everybody's trying to get back on their feet post-pandemic. Uh, exceptional times call for exceptional measures. If the government needs to step in to help get this resolved, then yeah. I think the public would appreciate that because these strikes are crippling and it's really not what our country needs right and now. You or our You think the answer is to send the army in to break a strike during a cost of living no, crisis? No, I wasn't suggesting an army to, to break the strike, but it was put, it put in place measures to be able to get nurses and doctors and teachers That's to work and students to, the, to, 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 their, to their exams. You want to send the army in to well, break a strike? Potentially, but what we need is we need government prices. action, whether it's uh, you know, bringing together COBRA to put in plan emergency measures to keep critical well, they workers They are talking moving. about emergency measures. They're talking about bringing extra laws in to prevent strike action being effective. Now, we've all seen what happens when uh, powerful people are on the side of employers. We've just seen it with P&O. And what we're facing in the railway now is a form of fire and rehire that your whole house over there in the Commons condemned, but now they're doing it to railway workers. You're all seeming to come but up Eddie, with ideas, send the army in and bring in the Nobody's supporting fire and rehire. Into work throughout the past week. I think there's a problem with low wages in this country. They've been falling for 30 years. But that's the real date we've of got, fallout, isn't we've it? Got, that those people can't get to their look, jobs. We've got all kinds of people coming out with phrases like modernisation who don't know what they're talking about. To be fair, you know, I'm not going to listen to a lord who probably won't know the business end of a shovel telling my members about being modern when they're working 24 hours. I haven't said the word modern, have I? Okay. All round the clock. And bringing the army in to break a strike. We haven't seen that since the general strike in 1926. Okay, Richard, I want to ask you. You're going about... to war on workers. That's what you're doing. Yeah, it, and, and that's more or less what the Tories' plans for the RMT is because, like, why they're striking. Like, just to resummarize what we talked about a couple weeks ago, like, why these workers are striking is that, like, the government has slashed all this money with a plan to go after the workers' pensions, cut thousands of jobs, cut safety inspections on British Rail by 50%. Man, British transportation is in so much fucking trouble between this and the ferries. <laughs> They want to enact fire and rehire schemes to lower existing salaries. They want to close all of the ticket offices in the country and replace them with automated kiosks. And they want to basically functionally cut workers' real wages because they haven't given them a raise in three years. And what they're offering now, now that inflation is 9.2% in the UK, they're offering them a 3% raise. Disgusting. They're yeah, offering I mean, them a 6% pay cut? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And well, not like, exactly, because that's not how percentages work, I know, but close I enough. Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And so the union statement in response to this is, faced with such an aggressive agenda of cuts to jobs, conditions, pay, and pensions, RMT has no choice but to defend our members industrially and to stop this race to the bottom. The RMT supports the campaign for a square deal for all working people in the face of the cost of living crisis, and our current campaign is a part of that more general campaign, which means that public services have to be properly funded and all workers properly paid with good conditions. And that's like one of the big things that I think is so key about why, like why the RMT I think has been doing an absolutely fantastic job of running this strike is that almost every time that I've seen an interview with anybody, like not just like Mick Lynch is obviously really good at this, but also other people involved with the strike, they have consistently tied it in with the way workers in all sorts of other parts of the country, with the way that the NHS has had its funding slashed, with the way that the, the teachers in Britain haven't, haven't seen a raise, and tying it together with the general conditions faced by the working class, which I think is 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 a the brilliant way to respond to this because like on its own, the workers don't deserve the way that they're being treated by the UK government, but they are accurately and, and really precisely tying it directly into a broader, really, war on workers by the neoliberal policies of the Tory government. And I think doing a fantastic job of, like, drumming up public sympathy for this, the strike in support of it. You think this is a class struggle, class war? Well, there's a class aspect to everything in the economy. There are lower paid people and there are wealthy people in this society. And what's wrong in this society is that there is an imbalance between the people that do the work to keep this country going, who create the wealth of our civilization and don't get a fair share of that wealth because it's going to people who are vastly wealthy. We should be comfortable with backing working class people who are struggling. And one of the ways that they can redress the imbalance is through industrial action where negotiations fail. What else are we to do? Are we to plead? Are we to beg? We want to bargain for our futures. We want to negotiate. And if we're not bargaining, you have to beg. And I don't want any working class people in this country to have to beg the employers for a decent living. I think there are going to be many unions balloting uh, across the country because people can't take it anymore. We've got people who are uh, doing full-time jobs who are having to take state benefits and use food banks. That is a national disgrace. And Grant Shapps is fairly blasé about that. You know, something that you might otherwise think would be kind of a tall order because since rail is such a critical part of transit in the UK, like bringing rail in England to a standstill, which is what the strike did, like is very disruptive to people's lives, like so to the point where the, the government in the UK has tried to, to break the strike by legalizing for the first time in I think like 40 years the use of agency workers, which I, I think is generally the term they use for like temp workers in, in the UK to try and bring in temp workers basically as scabs. But <laughs> because it's 40,000 workers on strike and because it's, you know, railway work is not just like, it's not the sort of thing that you can just come in off the street and just do immediately. Like there's a lot of training. It's specialized work. Like you can train people to do it, but it takes time. And so the, so far, at least as far as I can, I've read in, in the various articles I looked at in this, it doesn't seem like their attempts to break the strike really did anything, except send a bunch of trains in the wrong direction. Classic. <laughs> because, like, I found some people on Twitter reporting, like, they're looking at, like, the map of, like, the way that trains had been dispatched in real time, and they're like, that train's on the wrong track, that train's on the wrong track, that train's going the wrong direction. Incredible. <laughs> and, 
Yeah, it's ridiculous. And like one of the the deputy general secretary for the Trade Union Congress, Paul Nowak, which is like the Trade Union Congress in in the UK, I believe, is generally like the AFL-CIO here. It's like the big, broad labor federation. In response to the government's uh, attempts to break the strike, said, laws against bringing in agency workers have been in place since this was outlawed in 1973. Even Margaret Thatcher didn't go near it. But Boris Johnson has pulled out the playbook. And lest we blame all of this on the Tories, and they are despicable and terrible and deserve most of the blame for this. But the opposition, or at least the leadership of the opposition, hasn't really been doing anything in its favor either. Because Keir Starmer, who's the current like head of, of the Labour Party, the so-called Labour Party. The second biggest idiot in England. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Came out and openly told... Uh, like Labour Party frontbenchers, which uh, I guess is like made, like the leadership, the, the the most powerful people in the Labour Party, that they should not go to the picket line under any circumstances and show their solidarity with the workers. That's fucked. Which up. like you're the Labour Party. <laughs> what if you're not going to show solidarity with Labour? A, what's the fucking point of your party? And B, change the name. <laughs> yeah, just You're change it. Just call that. yourselves the fucking Democrats because yeah. that's what like, you've become. Yeah. Like I, and I know that it's like cliche at this point for me to break out a Lenin quote, but my man Vlad had him pegged 100 years ago when he said, the Labor Party is a thoroughly bourgeois party because although made up of workers, it is led by reactionaries and the worst kind of reactionaries at that who act quite in the spirit of the bourgeoisie. It is an organization of the bourgeoisie which exists to systematically dupe the worker. And wow. I don't know, seems like that's still dead on in 2022. Yeah, I wish <laughs> Lennon was still around so we could get his red hot takes when he sees Keir Starmer like gather together later, labor leadership and be like, do not go down to the <laughs> strike line. Do not bring them a ham sandwich. <laughs> 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 do not take a photo and post it to Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so like the other thing that's so funny is that like <sighs> The press and the, the the government officials in in the UK have been just going. Like, they've been acting like the work like the the workers are terrorists. Like I saw people saying that they were supporting Putin by striking right now, and go like all these insane <laughs> accusations that are just completely ludicrous. At the same time, that the way that this strike was structured was set up to minimize the damage to the public. That's mm -hmm. why they only struck on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. They could have done the full week. But they're just like, look, we need to let the government know we're serious, but we also understand that, you know, we're, we don't want to keep, we're not, they're not, because, they, I mean, they're, fundamentally, the, the issue is they're not the ones that have created the problem because that's the, that's the way that this has been phrased so much and that's why I think I've been so impressed with the way that the leadership and, and all the members of the RMT that I've seen interviewed, like have been done an excellent job of staying on the correct message, which is the union didn't force this strike. The government forced this strike right. by trying to fire thousands of workers, by trying to make the railways unsafe, by cutting inspections in half. Like the, the government created the strike and the government can end it. So right. like, well, uh, and their statement is absolutely ghoulish. I mean, uh, considering that, you know, at the same time, the there's 10,000 tube workers have, who have also gone on strike in London. Uh, the Tory government there declared like that, that. Well, they basically declared war on the workers saying we can't allow 
I'm afraid the unions, <laughs> in, the, in this very militant way, as they've proceeded to win this argument, basically saying that like <laughs> we can't we can't give anything to them because then this is like I don't remember who, who said that I think this was either last week or the week before where they're like if we if they show that this is successful, then people will think that strikes work. And <laughs> and they're scared of that because strikes fucking work. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's so funny to me where he's like, we can't allow this to to proceed. It's like, well, you don't have an option, my dude. Like, This is happening whether you want it to or not. Mm-hmm. If you want to escalate this war that you started, I, I'm sure the workers will be willing to, uh, to, to call your bluff there. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, despite this insane level of demonization, a poll that was taken on the first day of the strike showed nearly 60% of the UK public openly in support of the striking workers. And that's not like, so there's also like that middle strata that are just like, ah, I don't really care. So it's not like as if 40% are directly against it. And so like with the massive amount of propaganda demonization, I think that that really shows you that like people more or less understand this is the government's fault. This is not the worker's fault. And like, but to what you were talking about, like that, that, that fear, Lena, that you're talking about, that they really do have of this spreading, that really looks like that may happen because over 700 British Airways staff, mostly uh, like check-in workers and baggage handlers, have authorized a strike that may happen shortly because the company uh, put in a 10% pay cut to those workers at the beginning of the pandemic and has refused to rescind it. That's insane. And at the same time, the National Education Union is going to be holding a potential strike vote for its 450,000 members. Because again, just like with the rail workers, the government is only offering them a 3% raise with what is now 9% inflation and by the end of the year, maybe like 11%. Half so, a million teachers on strike. Half a million mm-hmm. teachers on strike. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this strike rules. It's been so inspiring to see like the, the like real unity shown by the RMT during this. And like, it'd be really cool if this expands to be like all these British workers just being like, look, the, the RMT guys are right. We don't have to take this bullshit. Like we don't have to take pay cuts during inflation. They like, these people are making hundreds and millions of pounds of profits during this period, and they can afford to pay the workers enough to have a living wage. And and like Mick Lynch told reporters on Tuesday, RMT members are leading the way for all workers in this country who are sick and tired of having their pay and conditions slashed by a mixture of big business profits and government policy. Now is the time to stand up and fight for every single railway worker in this dispute that we will win. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It's incredible. That is such a, such a labor hero of the week right yeah (laughs) speaking of winning let's talk about starbucks i mean what else could we be talking about (laughs) who who else has been batting as close to a thousand as as the emerging starbucks uh labor movement yeah absolutely like just to i mean we kind of talked about this at the beginning when we were doing the cold open but like one of the things that we have to mention specifically because of the Supreme Court ruling mm-hmm. is now in a because we talked about last week how Starbucks has been using their trans uh, like the, the fact that they have uh, health. If you get benefits at Starbucks, you potentially have access to health care that covers gender affirming care. And the way they've tried to use that 
as basically extortion against their employees to be like, damn, this is some good healthcare. It'd be a shame if you lost it because you wanted to unionize. Mm -hmm. Well, now they're doing the exact same thing with a benefit that they have for workers in states that now have banned abortion. Now basically telling workers that they can't, quote, guarantee end quote, that workers will still have access to those benefits if they unionize. Straight up and down fascism. I mean, I don't yeah. know how else to describe it. Right. And then obviously the not allowing anyone who doesn't get the health care, which is people under 20 hours a week, people also right. who maybe are on their partner's health care or, or anything like that. And additionally, like the, the idea that, I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong here, but if it's really just in states where it is made illegal, like they could easily just be like, oh, no, it's technically legal in this state. I mean, sure, you have to drive across the state in order to find the only clinic, but, right. uh, you know, we're not going to provide you any actual benefits there. I mean, I don't know if that's really how that's going to come down, um, but it is pretty likely just considering how absolutely awful the these companies are are rolling out these these incredibly cynical, like, versions mm-hmm. of these plans, uh, which... Yeah. And and they they want all of the good publicity. Look at these this mm-hmm. giant list of companies that's quote unquote supporting you know people's right to abortions. Uh, but then you know you look at any of the details and it's less than half of their workforce that qualifies. Yeah, well, and since we know that none of these benefits at Starbucks go to workers who are there for less than twenty hours a week, and we know one of the single most common means of retaliation that Starbucks has been using against workers who unionize or are in the process of unionizing is slashing their hours. It's not even necessarily a wait until like contract negotiations to see if they'll try and steal these benefits away from unionizing workers. They're, they can just do it immediately by slashing you down to say 19 hours a week. And now you don't qualify for those benefits. So yeah, it's an incredibly fucked situation and really The funny thing is they keep doing this stuff as a means of union busting, but every single one of these things only demonstrates to the workers even more that they absolutely need a union. Right. Like every one of these things that they do just seems to be counterproductive to the idea of actually blocking the union and only serves to just ramp up cruelty against their own employees. Well, it's the thing with class consciousness is there's really no putting the toothpaste back in the tube. Is there, it's like once your employees have decided that, or, or really come to understand that like, you know, everything that happens in their workplace is based on their rampant exploitation, uh, exploiting them more to get them to not unionize isn't going to do yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then so uh, one other piece of news before we get into the the wins for the week, and there are a bunch of mm-hmm. them, is that on Wednesday, the NLRB officially filed a request for a nationwide cease and desist order <laughs> against Starbucks that they... Be- Additionally, that they be required to rehire seven workers illegally fired for retaliation in the Buffalo area and that they be forced to recognize the union at the Camp Road store in Buffalo. We, we, we talked about how these proposals had been like recommended earlier, but they've now been officially filed and we have a court date set for these to be heard. So July 11th is when these are scheduled to be heard before an administrative law judge. So, I mean... Obviously, this stuff gets dragged out all the time. I don't know that we'll get a decision on that day, but like 
that the nationwide cease and desist order forcing them to rehire seven more workers and especially the bargaining order at the camp road store if any or all of those go through i mean that's that would be really big yeah i mean i i want to know what happens when the cease and desist order goes through and starbucks refuses to comply with it yeah that's what i want to know i want to know the actual repercussions because i mean it's got to be more than osha level fines I hope so. I don't really know. I mean, but the filing, so like one of the things like the filing says, just as a summary basically is Starbucks immediately set its vigorous anti-union campaign in motion, employing an expansive array of illegal tactics, such as raising wages, promising benefits, bringing in a cadre of managers to monitor employees and discourage union activities, closing stores with active organizing drives and threatening employees, culminating in the discharge of seven union activists at five different stores in the course of six weeks. But I mean, look, we're bringing this up because it would be really cool. It would be great if this goes through, uh, especially the bargaining order. That would be excellent. That'd be great precedent, too, uh, if they can be forced to recognize the union, as they should have been required to at pretty much all these stores. But part of the reason I wanted to bring this up is that that's a cool story. But the workers are not sitting around waiting for the NLRB to come stop Starbucks with the shitty toothless labor law that we have in this country. They're just like, well, look, it'd be nice if we can get some help from the NLRB, but if we're going to stop this union-busting campaign, it's going to be through our own collective power because this weekend, there were strikes all over the country at Starbucks stores to demand that the company stop their union-busting using the most powerful tool that we always have, which is stopping labor. Because, like, there are, like, stores in... What was it? In... Bloom, the Bloomfield Starbucks in Pittsburgh, the Mockingbird Lane store in Dallas, and in really cool, seven locations in Seattle that all struck at once Hell over yeah. the weekend, which fucking rules. And the Starbucks, co- the, the Seattle coordination was largely in response to what we talked about. I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago. We talked about Starbucks's new like fire and rehire plan to fuck with organizing drives where they declared several stores are now a heritage district and were forcing workers to uh, reapply for their own job or be transferred or resign. And so the Seattle Starbucks workers, because what Seattle has obviously been one of the places that has like a very large concentration now of unionized stores, I was like, oh, well, how about, fuck you, how about if we shut down seven of your locations in your headquarter town until you stop doing this bullshit? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that fucking rocks. And I mean, there, I, I, if you were listening to what I said I, uh, about the, uh, their pledge last week, you'll also oh, know yeah. that I was saying it backwards a bunch of times. I said, <laughs> no coffee, no contract, but it's no contract, no coffee. I mean, I... I whatever you know it's the similar concept but um but we we're gonna put that uh pledge in the show notes again and we encourage everyone to show that you're going to be out there in solidarity with starbucks workers by taking the no contract uh no coffee pledge and you know being like yo we want these starbucks workers to get their fucking contract and for starbucks to stop union busting yeah Absolutely. So once again, it's the end of the regular episode. And that means it's time for a bunch of good fucking news, which is a whole bunch more union wins. 
We'll start off with one small bit of bad news. There was a couple of losses this week at Covina, California and Long Beach, California. Once again, very close losses. Unfortunate. I hope that, you know, in what is it, about a year's time, I guess, they can have another election and, mm-hmm. and reunionize. Either that but, or we'll get the same thing as the the fucking Camp Road store because of oh, the amount yeah. of bargaining orders that's for been sure. going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, really, with the number of times the law has been broken, there should be a national bargaining order for Starbucks. Just be, you've broken the law literally hundreds of times. You now have to recognize the unit at all 9,000 stores. Fuck you. Hell yeah. yeah. And, and you now have to face uh, industry-wide bargaining. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But while those two losses are unfortunate, on Tuesday, June 20, 21st, we got wins in Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Greensburg, Pennsylvania, Marysville, Washington, La Quinta, California, and San Antonio, Texas, and the San Antonio store was a unanimous 13 to nothing win, continuing Starbucks Workers United's like incredible success rate at organizing in the South. Yeah, powerful stuff. I mean, a unanimous win, uh, a lot of really strong wins, and then the two losses were quite narrow. So, yeah, I mean, that's good. And then. On Wednesday, we got some more wins in Gardner, Massachusetts, which was also unanimous. I don't have a vote total for that one. Got wins in Kansas City, Portland, Oregon, Atlanta. Uh, one in Bloomington, Minnesota, uh, Minnesota at the Mall of America. Yes. And Cincinnati got their first unionized Starbucks as well. And then on Friday, to cap off the week, workers at the Iowa and King store in Bellingham, Washington, got a unanimous 20 to nothing win for the union, which brings us to 170 unionized Starbucks. That's incredible. There's no going back for fucking Howard Schultz. Like they are only increasing their power and we love Mm -hmm. seeing workers increase their power. With with the incredible level of energy uh, in Washington, I I keep thinking it's like counterintuitive. You know, I keep thinking like, oh, they would take care of of their workers a little bit better there. Right. They keep up appearances or whatever. But it kind of seems like wherever you're headquartered, that's actually where you take the worst care of everything. I remember going to Eaton Park in Pittsburgh, which is like a regional chain in Western Pennsylvania. And I was like, wow, this is the shittiest Eaton Park I've ever been in. (laughs) And my friend was like, this is the headquarters. They run it out. This is the first one. They run it out of here. And I'm like, it's the example. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Cause it sucks so bad. It's like if Kmart (laughs) was like a fast, casual dining place. Uh, Damn. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Well, I guess with that, we are going to move to the meme review where our first meme relates to so many different stories in this episode. And uh, this is a uh, a Lord of the Rings thing with the what's his his character's name? Bilbo. Mm -hmm. Bilbo Baggins looking at the, the ring and saying, after all, why not? And then the, the, the second panel is, why shouldn't I also go on strike? <laughs> and just be like, yeah, solidarity strikes. When we talk about the the um, England workers who are, you know, like the, either the teachers or the additional workers going on strike there, or the Seattle Starbucks workers who are like Heritage District, how about all of Seattle District, motherfucker? <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. Next up, we have a meme from the motherfucking share zone. And it's just a skull with, it's not even lasers. It looks like machine gun fire coming out of its eyes. <laughs> yes. And it says uh, in, in great big 80s text, time theft kicks ass. And I want to note 
kicks has instead of an apostrophe a quotation mark and there's uh, not supposed to be an apostrophe in kicks there yeah there's not uh and it says uh it's my time anyway how am i stealing from myself stealing s-t-e-a-l-i-g yeah which is so true because i i think this to myself every day when i'm at work and i get to my second to last stop and i think well time to find a 30 minute youtube video uh, and really enjoy myself. That's right. <laughs> this next one's yeah, so, a little longer. Yeah, this one is very much in the like Sigma grind set style of meme where you've got your you you, you got to be doing your side hustle and all of your time to become a millionaire or whatever. <laughs> well, do you see, so you've do, got Do you see the at right under the guy? At oh, yeah, Smegma yeah. trillionaire. <laughs> 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 yeah, so you've got this guy like gesticulating in the top photo, and then it's how to make the most of your job. And then we got a list here. One, form a union with fellow employees. Use every sick day and vacation day. Steal stuff even if you don't need it. <laughs> Hide in the bathroom until someone notices. <laughs> Turn your union into radical communist militia. S- sleep with your boss, then sue for sexual <laughs> harassment. I don't know that about that. That one's a little, uh, yeah, that was the most questionable one um, on the list. <laughs> change religions constantly to take off every holiday, parentheses, holiday max. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Huge energy. <laughs> and then use radical communist militia to wage protracted people's war. Finally capped off with take your career to the next level. <laughs> That's right. Protracted people's war. Love that shit. Oh, my gosh. And then uh, this next one is just a uh, looks like a, a Reddit screenshot uh, where there's the uh, combination uh taco bell kfc pizza hut but the pizza hut's gone and the and the highlight is <laughs> they shut down the pizza hut so now it's the anarcho kentucky fried chicken taco bell because it's just <laughs> black. and then the, the first comment is uphold anarcho kentucky fried chicken taco bellist thought <laughs> that's, that's right. right uphold young king dave thought yeah. <laughs> i just thought that was very funny <laughs> Oh, man. And then, so the last one here is from what I feel like has become an extremely popular account over the last uh, few weeks, uh, Cats in Hard Hats, where (laughs) you've got a bunch of cats in hard hats, (laughs) a bunch with, like, goofy Oakley shades, uh, standing around, like, they're just kind of standing around here on what looks like a pretty gloomy job site. Drinking cans of Gatorade. Cans. Where (laughs) do you find cans of Gatorade? We just got those in at work. I think they're new. Uh, because yeah. It's it's captioned me and the homies getting paid twenty one fifty an hour with company health and dental to stand around in the rain for eight and a half hours and drink Gatorade out of cans. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Uh, hell yeah. Huge energy. Love these well, cats in hard hats. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone be like, Oh, a lot of guys on that construction site not doing anything and I'm like, Oh, they're doing something. You just don't know what it is. That's <laughs> yeah. right. It might be well, really I mean, important. That's actually true. That, I mean, that, it might that's... be super important, and it also might not. And either way, it's actually none of your fucking business. <laughs> that's right. That's the more important yep. part. That's right. 
Well, I want to thank everyone for listening. If you want to support our show, you can go to patreon.com slash workstoppage and throw us five bucks a month. You get access to all of our overtime episodes where we explain things like rank and file organizing or, you know, the history of the collaboration between the AFL and the CIA. You know, we got lots of cool stuff on there. Uh, If you want to come and hang out with us and discuss labor with the other comrades, go into the Discord. There's a link in the description of the episode. Uh, Write us a review somewhere. Follow John on Twitter at FacebookVillain. Follow the pod at WorkStoppagePod. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest and solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody.